welcome to the Polygamer Podcast, where gaming is for everyone. Join us as we expand the boundaries of the gaming community. Hello and welcome to Polygamer Podcast, episode number 84 for Wednesday, December 5th, 2018. I'm your host, Ken Gagney. This is episode number 84, which means in the last four and a half years, I've interviewed at least 84 people. But today's 84th guest is somebody who puts that number to shame with all (laughs) the people that she has interviewed and the body of work that has resulted. Joining me today is Megan Marie. Hello, Megan. Hi there. Thanks for having me today. Thank you so much for making time for me. I know this is a very busy week for you. You have a big event coming out tomorrow that we're going to be talking about in just a moment. But to set the stage and frame everything, I would like to ask you first, you are essentially Laura Croft, right? <laughs> oh, man, I like to I like to imagine I am. You know, she's been my my heroine since I was a, a young girl. Um, and funny enough, was kind of my inspiration and, and gateway into working at Crystal Dynamics through my first job, uh, industry job, which was as press at Game Informer. So yeah, I'm currently the uh, senior community and social media manager at Crystal Dynamics. And so I get to say that Laura is a colleague of mine at the very least. That is amazing. And I first saw you in person at PAX East. I think it was 2016 or 17, where you were giving a panel all about the anniversary of Tomb Raider. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. So that was the the 20 years of Tomb Raider panel. So that would have been 2016, which just seems so long ago now. Um, (laughs) But yeah, that's when we announced 20 years of Tomb Raider, which was my uh, first book. And if you would have told me, you know, a couple of years ago that I would have had written two books in two years, I wouldn't have believed it because at that point I had written zero books. So, (laughs) (laughs) you know, uh, life takes strange turns when you keep your opportunities open. And and it's been really amazing having an opportunity to write a book about the history of Tomb Raider and now about the achievements of women in gaming. Yeah. And let's talk about this book. So tomorrow at the time of this recording, because you and I are speaking on on Monday, you are Mm -hmm. releasing your second book, which I happen to have an advanced copy of here. It's beautiful. It is a 350-page book called Women in Gaming, 100 Professionals of Play. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, so about a year ago, a little bit over a year ago, Prima reached out to me, um, and we had developed a a really great working relationship through 20 years of Tomb Raider. Um, And I had, you know, uh, my significant other is also a writer, and and I had helped him with uh, playing with Superpower, one of the books that he worked with them, and so on. And uh, they were interested in having me do a book that was more culture focused rather than just their, you know, their, their sort of standard uh, game guides. And uh, I remember having mixed feelings when they asked me, when I saw the email, I was out to eat it at the moment. And I just kind of stopped and I was stunned because I knew the, the second I read what they wanted the subject to be, which was just at that point, just women in games. It was a very, um, open, open concept. So there wasn't a lot established other than the the high level topic. Uh, And I remember having mixed feelings because I knew that I couldn't say no. And not that I I didn't want to, but I knew that it was going to be really tough going into 2018, uh, working and launching a video game and writing a book. But there was no way that I could say no to it because it was such a phenomenal opportunity to uh, craft this chronicling of, of the achievements of women in video games and make it a resource available to, you know, hopefully young young girls who want to work in the industry in the future. So it's been quite a ride. It's been a very crazy year, but, you know, it all kind of comes to fruition tomorrow. And, and I evidently have a short memory because I 
I don't remember it being that bad. And it was probably, <laughs> it was probably quite bad when I was, you know, writing from 4 a.m. to 9 a.m. and then working 9 to 5 and then writing again till midnight, you know, but it was worth it. It was worth it, definitely. So you make it sound like a roller coaster of a year. Was it really just one year it took you to interview 100 <clears throat> people? Yes. Yeah. I. It seems longer, though. <laughs> so I... um I, I tried to figure out a way that that it would make it a little bit easier to interview 100 people. So we started with surveys, uh, how we actually formatted it. it. was We send out an initial survey, and then I would do uh, follow-up interviews of each of the individuals for specific questions. Uh, but it was, you know, even, even trying to streamline things and make them as easy as possible when you're trying to interview such incredibly busy people, even if they're very excited to participate just getting their time can be a challenge. So, you know, between the research and the structure and conducting the interviews, you know, I, I say that, that probably took up probably 75% of the time, you know, most of the writing I did in the last month and a half. So it's, it's the planning and, and coordinating and research that actually takes quite, you know, the large majority of the time. You said that you sent out surveys. Were these interviews conducted via email or were you actually like on Skype with them? Yeah, so for the most part, the interviews were conducted via email. Um, so I did a Google survey that was just the basic information that I needed. You know, I needed a lot of standardized information because uh, I was, I, I, from the very early on, I intended to format the profiles uh, like, you know, a, an RPG character sheet. So there were certain stats that I needed from every individual and certain questions that I wanted answered for specific features within the book. Uh, and then what I would do is I take those answers and I would start drafting a, a, a high-level overview of their profile and see what gaps I needed filled in after that. So then I would come back with more specific questions. There were a few people that we did interviews um, in uh, over the phone, uh, but it was, for the most part, they were, they were the written interviews and email communications because it is just, they gave, it gave, gave the women the flexibility to do the answers on their own time. Uh, when you're <laughs> interviewing, you know, women of, of this caliber, uh, within the industry, their their time is their most valuable resource. So giving them that flexibility, or if you're interviewing women where there's a language barrier, or they're in a different part of the world, and so coordinating schedules is difficult. We we decided that that was the best way to do it. Yeah, and it's a lot more flexible than say shooting a video documentary where you actually need to sit down with the guest. Did you actually travel at all to see anybody? Uh, no, like I said, I did. I did pretty much all of the interviews over email. Uh, but that being said, I, I do travel a lot for work and I'm pretty much planning for the next couple of years to bring my copy of the book with me everywhere I go so that uh, when I'm at work events, I can slowly get it filled up with uh, signatures from all of the women who contributed. So that's my, my personal goal. Wow. To actually meet all hundred people, that is going to take you probably longer than it took you to write the book. Yeah, especially because it's not actually 100 women. I cheated and I somehow managed to work in like 150 women. So <laughs> wow, 150. I, had, I, I think that the hardest part of this process for me was actually choosing the women to feature because there were so many. I mean, the list of women is just incredible. The women who have made huge contributions or are kind of unsung heroes and unknowns and are making changes on small scales that will affect their local communities and so on. Uh, so it was very, very difficult to to limit that number. And so whenever possible, I found ways to include other women with, you know, smaller quotes in the in their own words section or or essays or um, the day in the life of sections. So I beyond the hundred profiles, there actually are even more women uh, included in the project. 
And how did you find them all? I mean, you've been in the industry for a while. Were they all just already in your phone? Uh, so there were a lot of, um, I started basically back in December of last year over the holidays. I just started making a list of the women that I was aware of, you know, the women that I had met through my networking in 10 years or so in the industry and so forth. And I started there and then, you know, did that preliminary list of uh, or search of, you know, women in the game industry and cross-reference them with the the large achievements of of women uh, that are that are well known within the industry. And then from there, before I started even, you know, really reaching out to anybody, I started to dig deeper and I was organizing my lists of, of contri- potential contributors to buy um, not only their achievements, but where they, you know, what their specialty was. So I wanted to make sure I had a number of programmers and I had a number of designers. And, you know, it was really important to me to remove the gatekeeping of, of who is considered working in video games, you know, and contributing to video games. So I wanted to make sure I had people like community managers or retail buyers or, you know, um, even one woman who was funny because she didn't even consider herself working in the game industry. And to me, that was a little bit funny is her name is Shannon and she's the curator for the uh, strong museum. And so she curates video games. She's, she's cataloged over 3000 pieces of video game history and she didn't necessarily consider herself part of the industry, but there she is preserving it. So I wanted to make sure I had this very diverse array of, of participants. So you know, kind of creating this uh, matrix and making sure that I was choosing women from, you know, different sectors of the industry, different industries themselves in terms of AAA and indie and educational and serious games um, and women from around the world, women of from the LGBT community, you know, different ethnicities. All of that was extremely important to me. So getting the list narrowed down was extremely, extremely painful on a personal level. Um, and that's why I make very clear at the beginning of the book with the note from the author, author that this is in no way a comprehensive list. This is, a, this is a, a look at the achievements of women around the world, but it's not a complete list. And, and I think that's great because it's not possible to make a complete list within the confines of this book because there's just too many talented women out there to to fit within the the covers. And one of the criteria you just mentioned, and which is very evident from your author's note, was the importance of intersectionality. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, well, I just think that that's extremely important. And and so early on in the process of writing the book, I emailed the women at Crystal D. We have a mailer within the office. And I asked them, you know, what do you want to see in a book about women in games? And more importantly, what don't you want to see? And that kind of helped establish the tone of uh, of the book in terms of a lot of the women said, you know, we hear about online all the time about these, these you know, negative stories of, of things that are happening to women in gaming. And we really want this to be a celebratory piece because we feel like that usually gets overshadowed. And I definitely agreed with that. And the other thing that they said is, you know, we don't only want to hear about the women who are, you know, these these huge names in the industry that their careers almost seem unobtainable because they're so spectacular. Uh, and we we did want to make sure that we included some of those women. You know, we wanted to make sure that we have, you know, the a- Amy Hennigs and and so on in in the book and Carol Shaw and, and, you know, some of the original Atari women who have these really amazing storied careers. But they also wanted to make sure that we were, uh, we were telling stories that haven't been told. And a lot of that, I think, is actually more interesting. I think that the stories that 
you know, surfacing women from around the world who are doing incredible work within their own local industries, I think is actually just fascinating. And I think that those are, those stories are actually ones I think are really, really going to resonate with readers. So I worked really hard to uh, find women from all over the world. And, and my, per, my own perspective, you know, the industry that I work in, I was fairly familiar with the, you know, the industry in, in North America, uh, Japan, and parts of Europe, the English-speaking parts of Europe. But it actually took a lot of effort to find, you know, people in non-English-speaking countries. Uh, and I ended up reaching out to, you know, uh, industry organizations like in South America. And so I reached out to different, different uh, IDGA chapters or groups that kind of unified devs within a certain country and asked for recommendations. And it was so it was a lot of networking and and asking around for suggestions and so forth. And and I think that we ended up with a really good list that way of just fascinating stories of the, the things that people are doing around the world. Oh, it really is fascinating, the roster you ended up with. When I opened the book and I looked at the table of contents, I was trying to figure out where to start. And there were so many names that just leapt out at me. I thought, ooh, Perrin Kaplan, I'm going to read that first. And then I see, oh, oh, Jennifer Hale. Oh, wait, Ashley Birch. I, <laughs> I don't know where to start because there are so many great people listed here yeah and and that's what i love is like i think that we we hit a balance of those names like you said the the, the names that are going to jump off the page and you're going to say oh jennifer hale fem shep you know she's 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 in the book and that's super cool but then you're also going to get you know women like uh, regina kigatlo who is from south africa and i had a chance to meet her when i was in south africa earlier this year and she's basically you know converting old arcade cabinets and into education, educates is what she calls them. And she's, she's turning these arcade cabinets into, uh, arca- into basically putting them in, in public centers around South Africa where kids can play educational games that kind of augment the local curriculum. And that to me was just so fascinating the the work that she's doing and how, you know, she's even trying to expand upon the curriculum. You know, she, she has, um, she created a game that's kind of about, you know, sexual identity which is something that's not taught within the South African curriculum and something that she felt that she could, she could, you know, address through her games. So it's not just about, you know, teaching math and and teaching geography and so on. She's, she's trying to create a, a curriculum that's even more encompassing. And so those are the things that I think are really, I think people will, will find some of these profiles really surprising and unique and hopefully (laughs) it'll put uh, the work that some of these women are doing into a greater spotlight, a spotlight that they deserve because they're really, really doing phenomenal work. You mentioned that you want to have women who are programmers, community organizers, etc. When I look at the table of contents, I see it's organized by era, such as decades. How did you decide how to organize this and what order to present them, like going by year instead of, for example, by industry? Firstly, doing it by year is a little bit of cheating because then it means that there is no, I have, I don't have to worry about accidentally setting some sort of, you know, somebody interpreting something as a hierarchy, correct? You know, that just by going chronologically, uh, it allows us to, it allows us to put uh, the, the women in an order that just makes natural sense. But I also wanted to write the book in a way that was accessible to not just gamers. Uh, one of the things that I did when I before I started the book is I bought a bunch of books on Amazon about a variety of of topics, um, historical you know accounts of of women uh, doing things in certain spaces. So 
women in space, women in ecology, women in the medical field, and so on, or mountaineering. And I read these books, and I thought that they were really, really fascinating. Uh, and I wanted to present my book within like a sort of historical framework uh, and and a chronological framework without quite making it a histor like an actual history, because uh, that would be impossible. There is, you know so many other women we would need to include if if we were trying to do a complete you know retelling or historical account of, of women's contributions in gaming so doing them chronologically actually allowed me to have these sections that uh did decade overviews so it basically contextualizes within a few pages the coming profiles so what was the industry like in the early 70s uh or the 80s or the 90s so it gives a little bit of a historical context to the profiles that that follow without, you know, going into history book territory. So it was kind of skirting that line of of providing additional context from that historical standpoint. Did you find it easier to find people to interview as you got closer to the modern day? Oh, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> it was actually quite hard to get in touch with some of these uh, women from the, the early 70s or 80s or so on. Um, and I'm very, very glad that I did though. You know, it was, it was, uh, a lot of, again, networking and asking around and, and talking to some of my more seasoned contacts and saying, do you happen to know these people? And lots of my Facebook friends, uh, you know, just asking around, uh, can you please put me in contact with these individuals? And, and I did make a point to, uh, only, include women who agreed to participate. So, you know, I'm, I'm ready for the, for the uh, inevitable questions that I'm going to get that are going to be basically, Oh, why isn't this person in the book? Why isn't this person in the book? And again, that's why the, the note from the author was so important. It's that it, it sets up the framework that this is not that complete archive. It is a, a selection of stories around the world that highlight how talented uh, women are in their various fields. And so there were individuals like Roberta Williams that no matter how hard I tried and oh man, I tried so hard. I tried so many different ways. I wasn't able to get a hold of her and I didn't want to do a profile again without her consent, consenting to be in the book. So I mentioned her briefly in one of the timelines, but that's a major player, obviously that's not included or Jane Jensen. I also wasn't able to get in touch with. So uh, it is, you know, there are definitely some, some women who retired from gaming and are often enjoying their their retired lives and you know more power to them uh, it doesn't not being featured in the book does not in any way negate the impact they left on the industry so it was a challenge it would have been fascinating to hear from roberta williams especially since king's quest was recently rebooted by the odd gentleman it's back in the limelight again yeah and i you know i read on their their blog hearing hen's blog that basically they sail the world now on their yacht just traveling the world and enjoying life and again like you can't fault someone for doing that that's I mean it sounds phenomenal and I would have absolutely loved to, to talk to her uh, but you know it wasn't in the cards and it just opens up even more spaces for other contributors who are doing equally meaningful work uh, in in today's field so it's it's you know I don't look at it as a, a loss I look at it as you know it is we 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 got an incredible assortment of women in the book uh, and I'm very happy with the final roster. Well, I'm sure that even 30 years ago, the video game industry had quite the burnout rate. Some people make their contributions and then they move on. They don't necessarily want to look back and talk about it anymore. Yeah. Um, and, and that was something, you know, I, I, at times I almost had to coax some women 
into into understanding that their legacy was actually more important than they thought it was. You know, a couple of women had only worked in the industry for maybe five or six years, but they did something very incredible, five or six years in the early 70s or 80s. But they did something really incredible during that period of time. And they're like, oh, there's probably people who are more relevant to today's audience that should take my spot. And I haven't worked in gaming for 20 years. And I, I say, you know, no pressure. If you don't want to participate, I will absolutely, you know, respect that. But I do want to give you the context that I think that, you know, you're your contributions are extremely important. And I think that, you know, they help establish how women were fundamental to the work early in the industry and establishing the industry. So it was, it was interesting to see how people viewed their own work in retrospect. And I'm very glad that uh, those few individuals who who are perhaps a little hesitant at first, because they didn't see their work as particularly relevant now, uh, actually participated. And I think they really enjoyed it. So I was very glad to have them. I've interviewed on this podcast, some of the same people you have, like Sherry Grainer Ray and Tanya DePass. The most recent guest immediately before you was Bahia Khan from South Africa. (gasps) (laughs) Tell me about her. I I hate saying this because like I don't want to play favorites in any capacity, but I think that I had the most fun, right? And fun is a difficult word. Her profile was one of my favorites to write because she is so phenomenally interesting. She's so interesting and so honest. Um I very much appreciate her honesty uh in terms of the love-hate relationship that she has with the industry. You know, she she finds that it is such an incredible way to express herself and to tell deeply personal stories and difficult stories about difficult topics. But at the same time, you know, she doesn't see herself represented often in games. She doesn't see herself represented in the people who make games. And so she struggles with this. Do I fit? Do I belong? I don't look like the you know what a game designer should be and so on but at the same time that makes it even the work that she's doing even more important because she's inspiring other people she is going to be uh you know the, the the beacon for other girls who maybe have the same feelings but then they see themselves reflected in her so you know she just I, I, you know, had to try to, with these profiles, I had to try to curb my research at some point, you know, I couldn't spend more than five hours researching each person before writing, because then I would just never get things done. And I just went down this rabbit hole with her in particular and watched so many of her uh, various panels and, and read articles and so on, because I was just so fascinated by the work that she was doing. So I, yeah, I'm very impressed with her. And 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 the work she does. I haven't read all your profiles yet, but I think hers is the only one I've seen so far that had a content warning on it. Yeah, it did, and you know that was something that we we you know asked if it was okay to put that on there. But because her, uh, you know, her game deals with sexual abuse and uh, how she deals with it as a survivor, we wanted to make sure that people understood that that was part of part of the topic. But yeah, I think that that is the only one that does have a trigger warning. Um, but it's the work that she's doing in particular is, is I think really incredible and really brave. And the stories that she had about demoing that game and other women who come up to her and essentially say, you know, I like just give her a hug and say, they understand. And that sort of connection that she makes with other people through, through her art is 
incredibly powerful. I mean, it it shows the potential that video games have. It's a perfect illustration of what video games can be. As you said, she has given multiple talks. She's an accomplished public speaker. I think, if I recall correctly, my podcast was the first time she'd ever been on any podcast. And that's been true for many of my guests. Some people don't, as you said, recognize their impact on the industry and have never been interviewed before. Uh, did you yeah. encounter, and I'm sure that you probably encountered people who, not just the people who, who you were discussing that made their contributions in the 70s or 80s, but more recent people wondering, why would you want to interview me? I'm a nobody. I did. I did have that. And, and you know, it was actually something, it, it became to some degree um, a bit of a trend. And, and at some point, I... I, you know, I, I never want, I was never bullish, but I was definitely um, straightforward with a lot of these, with a lot of these women. I think that there was a degree of imposter syndrome that some of these women felt like their work wasn't good enough in comparison to. Uh, and I think that that's something that is often extremely detrimental to women in, in a variety of vocations. And so, and but I, <laughs> but I get it. I get the same thing. You know, I, I wasn't comfortable writing my about the author and so my author bio and so someone else had to write it for me because I never would have said any of the stuff that she said in my own bio uh, so it was you know it was something that I had to take I had to take into consideration you know when I sent out the survey I said you know what it, what do you consider your greatest accomplishment in the industry and I said please do not be humble this is not the time to be humble this is the time to celebrate your accomplishments so it was really it was really fascinating um, to how other women viewed themselves and how, you know, I think it's something culturally that we need to kind of push past and and make sure that we're owning up to the, our successes. You talked about the writing that you did mostly in the last few months to finish this book, maybe because I'm a subscriber to your alma mater, Game Informer, but before I got my hands on your book, I expected the interviews to be presented in a transcript format. And instead, you wrote them up as profiles, which I imagine was a lot more work. It sure was. <laughs> so it is one of those things that when I was conceptualizing the book, I was like, this is how I want to do it. Uh, and then I started doing it. I was like, wow, this is a lot of work. Um, but that's fine. I, I really liked, I didn't want it to be super sterile. And again, I felt like, I wanted to tell each woman's story as a story. I wanted it to, I wanted to have the freedom to sort of pick specific quotes and highlight specific things that maybe they wouldn't have. Um, and, and each of the women were able to check the bio to make sure I, I got things factually correct because obviously, you know, sources on the internet aren't always, uh, always uh, correct or it can be very easy to, to, get a date wrong when you're talking in scales of 50 something, 40 something years. Uh, but, uh, it was definitely a challenge writing in that, in that structure, but I'm glad I did it. I, I feel like it makes, it makes the book a bit more entertaining to read. I hope coming from sort of an authored perspective. No, that's definitely been my experience as well. I think, as I mentioned that presenting in a transcript format is certainly easier for the author. And I know some readers who feel that it's the only way to be sure what the person being interviewed actually said, but it's so unfiltered that you need somebody to sort of massage it and formulate it into something that has a, a framework and a narrative. And I think that's what you've done here. Yeah. And again, I think it, it, it coming back to that sort of 
being perhaps a bit too modest, having someone celebrate your achievements for you, right? So I got the quotes. I, I looked at the overall interview. I picked the quotes I thought the best represented them. And then I included uh, my own, you know, research and, and, and really was able to celebrate them through my voice and through my writing. I think it's just a bit more comfortable for some people. Um, and like I said, I, I, I allowed the contributors to read it for factual accuracy and to make sure, which was the case a couple of times, that I didn't misinterpret something that they had said. Um, and so, uh, you know, they, they were able to, to make corrections if need be. And there certainly, like I said, there certainly were some uh, things that needed to be corrected. And, and I'm glad that we had the time to, to go through and do those edits. And one of the funnier ones is I misinterpreted, uh, Anna Anthropy, her, her Easter egg was that her cat draws tarot cards. Um, and I thought she meant like draws as an illustrates. And so I was like, wow, how does this cat illustrate tarot cards? But I was like, that's fine. I was like, maybe her cat just like, it's a joke. And her cat accidentally like, like rolled on a pen one day and accidentally, I don't know, drew something. I don't know. But I put that in there and she's like, where did you get that from? She says, I mean, he like pulls them from a deck. You know, he he'll like, he'll grab my tarot cards out of the hand and pull one, draw one. So, you know, context is important. <laughs> yeah, I, I see her right now on page 236. Easter egg has a cat who draws tarot cards for her. So you've left yes. that open to interpretation. Well, before I actually said illustrates, so I, <laughs> I, I'm glad that she checked that one. Um, but yeah, that was, that was, I guess, I guess it's, it can still be a little bit open to interpretation, but either way, her cat seems pretty cool. So I would agree either way. Yes, absolutely. Uh, let's see. So you've interviewed some women in here, like Lee Alexander and Anita Sarkeesian, <laughs> who I think it's fair to say that they've had their share of challenges in the last four years. Yeah. Would you say that after talking to over 100 women for this book, that there's a sense that things are getting either better or worse for women in gaming? Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I definitely get the impression that things are getting better. I mean, you know, it, it, by no capacity are, are things, you know, just completely fine at this point. You know, there's, there's lots of work that needs to be done. Uh, within representation in the industry and representation with characters and, and within games and so on. Uh, and just creating a more diverse intersexual or <laughs> intersectional, excuse me, um, you know, talent pool to make games. And I think that we are moving towards that. And, and I really honestly got this feeling of, of hope and of, positivity you know it, it the book was designed to be so um like a, a celebratory book but it didn't feel like i had to push that angle in any capacity it felt like there was a lot of of hope and and just sort of women rallying around each other and supporting each other when i was interviewing them that they're recognizing the moves that are being made and whether that's through organizations like girls make games um and we interviewed the the creator layla of, of that organization or various groups who do mentoring around the world, like Ali McLean of the Working Lunch from Australia. So it just, I, I think that because of women like this, women who are willing to speak up and women who are willing to make waves and women who are willing to put in the extra time and energy to create resources for uh, industry hopefuls or to 
use their platform to challenge what we consider games even to be. You know, I think that that women taking control of of their own destinies and taking control and making such a big impact in the industry is just it's leading in a very positive direction. Why is now the right time for this book to come out? Why not 10 years ago or 10 years from now? Well, that's a difficult question. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I definitely feel like this book um, could have been done years before now. I, I feel like I, the, one, of the, one of the sentiments that I've heard from the women who have already gotten their books, uh, the contributors who have gotten their copies, is that they wish they had something like this when they were entering the industry. And that, you know, wow, that means a lot to me. That is that is a compliment that they see it as that sort of resource. Um, and I agree, like, I wish I had had some sort of uh, some sort of tome that chronicled uh, all of the achievements of women in the industry when I was starting, because I, you know, I basically had Lara Croft, who was not in the industry. She was a fictional character. But to me, she was a representation of me having a place in video games. And that was because I primarily didn't have professional women to look at. You know, they weren't in the spotlight. They were absolutely there, as evidenced by all of the women in the book. But, you know, they weren't as visible. Um, and it really was um, Lisa Mason from Game Informer. I remember that she had her little yellow staff picture in the you know front of Game Informer. And seeing that was sort of one of the first times that I said, okay, for real now, I have a place in this industry. If Lisa can make it, so can I. And so I just I think it's really important to have that that visibility. And this book just I hope makes that representation and that visibility just that much easier. So I I, I was actually quite surprised to find that there wasn't this sort of book already when Prem brought it to me and and I looked at the landscape of books related to, to women in gaming, the existing landscape. And there definitely are great books out there. You know, Jennifer Helber has a great book uh, collection of, of essays from women in the industry, which is a really fantastic read. Uh, but yeah, it it this is this is I think a sort of unique entry into into the genre and and something that I hope does prove to be a pretty valuable resource to people. And not just not just women. Like, I'll be honest, I, I hope that this inspires young girls. You know, that's kind of my, my primary hope is that it inspires young girls to find their place in the industry. But uh, I designed it in a very intentional way to hopefully be, you know, inspirational and informative for all genders. So that's what you hope other people will get out of your book. What would you say you've gotten out of this experience? I had the opportunity and an excuse to interact with like 150 of some of the most incredibly talented women in the industry and just inspiration, I suppose, taking from their stories. And yeah, I also feel like to some degree, you know, writing this has helped me boost my own confidence in myself. You know, this has been a, a, I, I, like I mentioned earlier, I, I, have just as bad of a habit as a lot of the women in the book do of underselling myself and and doubting my capabilities and I wasn't willing to turn down the the offer to write this book even though it was completely terrifying at first um but it was sort of a it was both a way to inspire it both inspired me and kind of affirmed you know my own set of skills and what I'm capable of and so it's something that I'm very proud of 
As well you should be. This is an astounding volume. I'm so happy to see it come out. I'm so happy to have a copy. And it does come out at the time of this recording tomorrow, at the time of the publication yesterday, on Tuesday, December 4th, which I understand is a big day for you. How are you promoting this book when it comes out? Yeah, so, you know, it's actually been a little bit tricky. And it's kind of, it's kind of, I'll be honest, a little heartbreaking. I'm sure you saw the news not too long ago that Prima Games is shutting down. And it was, uh, it caught us off guard. It completely caught us off guard. Uh, but, you know, the, the the higher ups at Prima and my editor and so on, project manager, messaged and basically said, you know, don't worry, nothing's happening to the book. The book's still coming out. We're still going to support it. And DK, DK Books has stepped in and really, you know, helped a bit. But because of this, the news, I've had to do a lot of the sort of PR and uh, event planning and so on myself. So, Crystal uh, Dynamics, my work, was nice enough to let me host a launch event at work uh, so that I didn't have to search for a venue and so on. So we have, I think, nine or ten of the women from the book coming out tomorrow to the office uh, into a theater. We're doing a couple of panels. We have, you know, I think 60 or so women have RSVP'd to attend and just networking and autograph opportunities for people who want to buy the book there. And it's just a really amazing opportunity to meet some of the you know most influential women from the industry because like i i said a lot of these women uh worked in silicon valley in the early 70s and 80s so they're still here and their perspectives are just fascinating so i'm i'm excited and nervous for tomorrow to, to finally meet them in person will that panel be streamed or recorded anywhere it's going to be recorded and we'll eventually put it online, uh, hopefully within a day or two. The Wi-Fi is not great down in the theater. So we, we were trying to stream, but it doesn't seem like it's going to work. So we will get it up as a video on demand a bit later this week. That's awesome. I'm glad that it's going to be made available. And for people who want to get a hold of your book, where and how can they do that? Yeah, so um, you can check it out in a lot of major online retailers. Amazon, it's sold at GameStop. Um, and, and just a lot of major book retailers and retailers around the world. I think the bit.ly link is it, it's bit.ly slash, uh, women in gaming. And uh, that will take you to the Prima site that lets you choose specific retailers. And, uh, then you can choose, choose which one is to your liking. And my hope is in the future that it'll get translated into other languages, uh, like 20 years of Tomb Raider has, but we'll, we'll see. I, I want this to be as accessible to people as possible. The Bitly link is Women in Gaming. That's a capital W, capital I, capital G, and Bitly is case sensitive, but there will be a link to that in the show notes at polygamer.net. Megan, if anybody wants to follow you online, where can they find you? Uh, for the most part, I'm pretty active on Instagram and, and, and Twitter at the moment because uh, I'm constantly on the go and those are easier platforms to update. But basically, just Megan Marie on all platforms. Uh, and eventually, now that the book is done, I'll be able to get my website back up and running. But that'll just also be at MeganMarie.com. Oh, no. What happened to your website? Oh, I just I just needed to uh, revamp it because I hadn't updated it in years and years and years and years. And so I took it down to just do a complete, you know, redesign and all of that. And that was last year. That was last Christmas. <laughs> and so it's like half finished behind the scenes. And I'm going to finally get it back up this holiday. So uh, it'll just have some of my old writing and my cosplay portfolio and pho photography and just all of that kind of stuff. So it's it's like a, you know, big personal project that's just taken a long time. But either way, I'm going to have it back up and running this this December, hopefully. Oh my gosh, it's December. By end of December. <laughs> it's this month. It's now. <laughs> it's now. That's now. Oh man. This year. 
one last question. Are you going to be mm-hmm. at PAX East 2019? I hope so. I can't really plan too far ahead right now, <laughs> um, but I, I would very much like to. I love PAX. The only reason I ask is I would love to get my copy of your book autographed. Oh, that would be rad. I definitely will do my best to be there. Fantastic. I will look for you there. In the meantime, I'll look for you online. And people should go buy Women in Gaming, 100 Professionals of Play by Megan Marie, available on December 4th, 2018. Megan, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. Uh, I appreciate chatting with you. And thank you for picking up a copy of the book. I hope you enjoy reading the rest of it. This has been Polygamer, a GameBits production. Find more episodes, read our blog, or send feedback at polygamer.net.